Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. Welcome back to our discussion on set construction. Glenn here, just bringing you up to speed. If you recall from last week, assuming you listened, of course, this was originally recorded as a single episode, but it ran a bit long, so we decided to separate it into two episodes. This would be the second part of our set construction episode. On our first part, we mostly discussed the different types of set. We covered the representational set and the unit set. We'll call the first one sort of a representational type of a set, meaning more suggestive of the environment in which the play is located, not necessarily visually depicting it particularly accurately. Right, not, uh, not realistic. Yes. Relatively minimal in the construction element. You're probably primarily working with furniture pieces to do a lot of the establishing of the set. Right, establishing the scene with just a... So yeah, other than the representational set, the other most common set probably is a, a unit set, which yeah. is a, a single location. Yeah, 90% of the uh, shows I've worked on have involved unit sets. Yeah, I tend to prefer those. My experience takes up the majority of the stage space available, so it makes it really difficult to move things in and out anyway. Yeah, I mean, a few of the shows that I've done will have like a couple of furniture pieces that maybe have to be moved on or off. But right. Then you're going to reduce the amount of onstage space you have. And now we'll conclude our discussion of set construction, beginning with the third type of set. We now resume this two-part episode of The Backstage Show, already in progress. The third type would be just a multiple location set where it's kind of similar to a unit set in that it's more realistic, but you're moving set pieces in and out and it's and it's representing several locations. So it might be somewhere between a unit set and a representational set, yeah. but it's usually a little more realistic. A lot of better. musicals tend yeah, to take say, this approach. Absolutely, because it's, it's a lot of stuff that comes in and out. Yeah, to give you an example, uh, since we talked to Steve Deneno a couple episodes ago, or last episode even. Last episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, it Should Have Been You was an example of kind of some things getting coming in and out, but sort of had like a, a main main stage sort of a piece to it that was sort of the focus of a lot of the scenes in the action, and it mm -hmm. was pretty much all permanent standing or didn't really move in and out throughout the play too much. But to augment that for scenes that brief scenes that are taking place in more obscure areas that was handled by just moving pieces in and out more often than not. Yeah. And in contrast to that, when I did, I think it was my first musical design. We may have talked about this before was the sound of music. When we had, uh, we had the Alps in the background, which were these two giant mountain cutouts that were, uh, you know, painted. And then we had what we called the monster, which was this giant, like, I want to say eight, like 16 feet by eight feet, maybe. On a piece on wheels that was two stories that, you know, had like one thing on one side and you turned it around and it was Maria's bedroom on the other side. I think it was the stairs and the, the 
large area of the house on the one side and then Maria's bedroom on the other side. And then that like wheeled in and out and turned around. So it's a lot of stuff like that where you might wheel stuff in and out of backstage or in the wings or turn around. If you're lucky, you might have the fly space and you might bring down walls or bring them back up. That's more common, I think, on Broadway than community theater because most community theaters don't have any fly space. I'm just trying to think of I'm just trying to think of any theater that uh, community theater I've encountered that had fly space. The barn can fly in a wall. Okay. And I've seen them do that. They did that. I want to say the producers may have done that. I don't. Yeah, I don't recall seeing a show where a wall was flown in, but I think there were. Mm-hmm. I recall that there were some uh, set pieces in particular, like a sign or something like that, that was yeah. able to be flown in from uh, above when it was needed. Dracula, we flew in a chandelier. Oh, is that right? Yeah, forgot about that. Chandelier covered with uh, cobwebs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the clapper on it. That's sure, right. I told that story already, so I won't repeat it. But yeah, yeah, and you also had other set pieces flying in from the wings for that show. Like you had the yeah, you built the captain's the the wheel, the ship wheel with the skeleton on it. With the skeleton was in there. The coffin came in and out. That's right. You had the on the risers. You had the panel where the mm-hmm. uh, the coffin, the coffin was rolled out from underneath the riser. I think Frankenstein was actually a little bit more of that sort of multiple location thing where we had a lot of pieces that wheeled in and out. Um, yeah, you had the uh, the brick-faced pylons, I guess I'll call them, where you turn them around and it was the mm-hmm. machinery. But, but there what, was a whole... The, the bed wheeled in and out and there was okay, like, uh, yeah, furniture yeah. Uh, or, or, or like furniture that we built, the big... Uh, what's the armor? No, wardrobe. The big wardrobe that Frankenstein, you were supposed to think that he was hidden. Oh, but he was behind the curtain. That's right. Yes. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And I think like uh, the brick face was on the back of that so you could turn it around and it was part of the lab. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's right. Sorry. I had it backwards, I think. But yep. Yeah. Multi-purpose pieces. Yeah. You try to get as much use out of each piece as you can just so (laughs) you don't have to have more stuff taking up space backstage. Configurable. Yes. So yes. those are your three types, representational, unit set, and multiple location set. That's pretty much it. And building things on wheels definitely helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can get like situations. different types of things. Like uh, Lifetimes 3 is a was basically a representational set, but also kind of a unit set. That was a, a, a thing where we had, uh, there was a back curtain. There was furniture that was that made up the set, and then we had the three, uh, what became known as the spinning triangles of death. Nice. Uh, these were, these were three pieces that were set kind of center upstage that had three sides to them, and as each scene went, they would they would each turn once. So there were three different scenes to the show. So there were three different faces on these triangles, and they would just turn once. Pterodactyls. And that was really the only thing that changed. Hmm? Pterodactyls. Pterodactyls. I know that's not the right word. Um, (laughs) I'm blanking on the word, but it sounds a lot like pterodactyl. (laughs) You're on your own. Pterodactyl. Man, somebody's going to have to write in on that one. Yeah, if you can help Jim out, give us an email, podcast at backstage.link, or you can give us a call, (laughs) 267-225-8869. Please call in and help Jim out. Somebody's probably listening to this and screaming the word. <laughs> Scream it into the phone. Let us know. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> exactly what you just described. I think there's a word that sounds a lot like pterodactyl that is the official word for that. 
Okay, I'm pretty sure it's not pterodactyl. Though. No, it is not, not pterodactyl. pterodactyl. <laughs> it's just escaping me at the moment. Apparently, the dimen- there's 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 a technical term for spinning triangles of death. Apparently, yes, yes. Well, the death part is optional, but ah. <laughs> let all the listeners take heed that this is where Jim's dementia starts. <laughs> Noted. Got it. <laughs> okay, so moving on to actual building. Yeah. When do um, we build? Best to do it as early as you possibly can, which admittedly is not always that possible to be that early, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, you got to deal with the theater schedule and the the show that comes before you, basically. When do they when do they end? When do they take their set down? Exactly. Every theater has their own dynamic and flow to that. And the other consideration is how much time you're actually going to need to put together the set. I mean, some of these mm-hmm. sets, uh, arrangements that we described are relatively easy to throw together, so it's not as critical. But if you have a really involved set involving a lot of different set pieces that have to be built from scratch... That's yep. just going to take a long while. time. It can. And I mean, when you're dealing with framing indoors and trying to get everything set up just right, and then you got to get your painting done and your furniture and your set dressing and all of this stuff. So it's definitely better to start it earlier because, you know, the, the longer that the set is up, the longer the actors have to work on it. And as much as you rehearse, it's never quite the same until you have the entire setup. Yeah, I think that can be a good or bad thing, too. I mean, mm-hmm. if the actors can kind of get the feel for the show enough without the set, then once they have a finished set to work with, it just kind of elevates everything to another level. That's true. They're more prepared. If you can get them prepared, uh, then if, if they're having trouble moving into having the set, then they're going to have trouble with the set. Right. But if it's something where they have to really interact with the set a lot, then just getting that in place as soon as possible is pretty critical. Absolutely. And that, again, comes back with farces that, you know, because you've got so many doors opening and closing and trying to get the timing of that right, that's always, to me, like, get those doors up as quickly as you can. It's just, it's going to change the pacing. It's just going to change the whole feel of the action. Probably a farce. That's maybe one of the most critical types of shows to have a set in place. Yeah. And then, you know, what I was going to say is, like, uh, you're going to deal with a set that a lot of times is not going to go up in one day. It's going to take you several days to do it, uh, you know, over several weeks because you're not going to be able to do it every day generally. No, you got to work around rehearsals and everything else too. Yep. So when you're dealing with something like a farce where you need to have these doors in place, sometimes it's like, okay, well, what's most critical? What can I get done in that first week so that they can work with that? Can you get just the doors up and then put the walls up later? Is is that even an option? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you got to think all these things out and work with your uh, carpenter and figure out yeah. what what he can do and what you need. Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical to have really somebody who knows how to build things as the head of your build crew. A master carpenter, if you want to call him that, but just yep. y- you need a good game plan. You need somebody who knows what they're doing. It's it's not you, you can't leave this up to chance as far as how this is going to all fit together or it won't. No, I mean, th- that's one of, to me... It's something like if you can get a good master carpenter that you can work with well, and shout out to Rob, I hate that you moved, but you put together a lot of great sets for me. He was always really good to work with. He was innovative and put together a lot of my sets for me and then up and retired and moved to Hawaii. So How dare he? <laughs> well, I've got a couple yeah. I got a couple shout outs to make myself in that department. Ed, if you're listening, has helped me on a number of occasions, as well as more recently, Fish was a godsend in just so many ways, but by no small part of that being uh, getting a set together and mm. 
and all that. And just safety is really important. Uh, I can't stress that yeah. enough. It's And that's somewhere else that the master carpenter is going to come in. They know how this stuff can be put together in a safe manner. And, you know, you, you've got kind of two two things to address with safety is number one, while you're putting the set together, you want everybody to be who's putting it together to be safe. And then number two, once the set's together, you want all your actors to be safe. Yeah, that last one is particularly key because this set has to be able to stand for, you're not building a house, but the Mm -hmm. set has to be able to stand for three, four, five weeks, something like that. And, you know, in the heat of passion of live theater, if somebody slams the door really emphatically, you don't want that entire wall falling over. (laughs) No, you don't. I've learned a lot. Two things I can bring up with that. One I've brought up before, and that was one of my first shows when I did musical comedy murders of 1940. We had that sliding bookcase that should have had some sort of support on the top, you know, some sort of board in front of it. I mean, not support because it had a slide, but that was the thing that, you know, I slid the bookcase open, walked on stage and pulled the bookcase down behind me. The other thing I want to mention is the last set that that, uh, Rob was able to do for me was Accomplice. And there were two things in there that were critical to the show and that could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. One of them was we built up a platform and we needed to build a trap door into that because there's supposed to be some sort of electrocution where there is an electrical element that's beneath that trap door Mm -hmm. and somebody gets electrocuted. So we had to, to build this and the two of us went back and forth and came up with a trap door that, you know, we're not building a four foot plat a platform four feet off the ground we're building one i want to say i don't know if we- 16 inches maybe it was maybe 16 inches off the ground so there's not a whole lot of room for this platform to collapse so we actually built something that could be operated from backstage where you pulled something and and the plat the the trap door fell out in two pieces because one piece would have clunked on the floor so there was that but it had to be sturdy enough so that anybody stepping on it before it was supposed to collapse didn't put their foot through it would not go through it No. So there's safety there. The other uh, element was a fireplace where that whole wall hinged open. So he had to come up with some way for, I mean, you know, it's not a heavy fireplace. The thing was mostly built out of foam, uh, foam core that was, you know, sculpted into into shape. But this whole thing was a, uh, I believe it was set on a pole that was secured floor to ceiling. And then he had like he hinged it off that pole, basically. Mm-hmm. It it spun around that pole and had a wheel at the bottom so that it would move properly. And that fit together seamlessly. Nobody could tell that it moved until it moved. Until closing night when it kind of slipped off its track a little bit and didn't quite close. <gasps> but, yeah. I mean, it was fine to go. I, I think it might have been like the night before closing. So closing night, it might not have perfectly closed, but it was still not noticeable. I was going to say, I... I've picked up quite a bit over the years of just putting up the flats, just knowing how to secure everything together and brace everything properly such that, you know, everything, even though it's not solid, you're just creating the illusion of uh, solid walls. It's Mm going to feel solid enough such that it will withstand the wear and tear that a production is going to throw at it. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you kind of want it to come down easily after your show closes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's... I, I had uh, Aaron that, that I think we both worked with over the years had this dream of a set that would put together with one master screw and you'd pull that screw out. The whole set would fall down. <laughs> well, I will say in my experience that it takes a lot less time to take down a set than it does to put one up. Oh, absolutely. By yeah. a factor of 
I don't know, five or ten. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the master carpenter, you've, of course, got, you know, your set designer who yeah. is there to basically make sure that what he designed is what's get, what gets built. Yeah, or figure out, okay, well, this isn't going to quite work the way you designed it. What else mm-hmm. should we do? Yeah, so they'll be there to kind of work on the fly as necessary. And the director and then, weighs in on that as well. Yeah, the, the director will be there to also schedule things. The producer might do that as well and kind of coordinate the whole thing. To some extent. I mean, I feel like once you get into construction, it's the master carpenter who's in charge, but the director is there to just coordinate beyond that. Usually, and uh, figuring out when is the best time to do the construction or the painting, depending on the rehearsal Mm -hmm. schedule and everything else that's going on. Yep. The master scheduler. Yes. You're also going to be working with a set decorator who is... They're usually going to be there like after the construction's done. They might be consulted for like paint colors and furniture and that kind of thing. In my experience, that's usually the set designer also doing that part. Yeah, set designer and decorator is often the same person. Usually like, uh, you know, I'll try to split it up if I'm designing a set. I don't always want to decorate it because it's it's it can be a lot of work to do both. But I, I think, yeah, particularly in community theater, your your designer and your decorator are often the same person. Mm hmm. Yeah. And you need a build crew. Yeah, yep, this is true. It's usually, again, in community theater at least, it's usually going to be the same as your cast and crew, that and whoever else you can rope into it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's certainly no guarantee that, to be frank, that you'll have a cast that will, not for lack of wanting to help, but you know, other than minimally holding up walls helping to get walls put in place that kind of a thing yeah not not everybody has the carpentry skills necessary but at the same time you can't have you know if you've got six people who are really good at building there's usually not something for all six of those people to be doing at once anyway yeah if you have a large cast show it doesn't really always seem productive to uh, require them to all be at every set construction together if maybe you can get a couple of them at one day and couple other people helping with painting another day. Mm-hmm. That usually Personally, works out for the uh, best. When I'm directing, I do encourage everybody to come to all the days just because I think, you know, you've got some time outside of rehearsal. It's just good for cast bonding. Yeah, I think since the set constructions typically happen like on a, a weekend in a lot of cases or in an off night, I don't necessarily, I haven't necessarily pushed that as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just more about getting hel- uh, enough helpers to get the job done done. yeah i know there are some theaters that require you to attend constructions if you are involved with the show barley sheaf is one of those that you do have to be at at least one construction okay i mean again if i've got the perfect actor for a job i have let that slide but you know it it is technically a requirement there and i believe that when you audition you when you sign your audition form that's on there right i mean i would generally expect that Every cast person would show up for at least for one either construction mm-hmm. or painting or decorating or whatever. whatever and then there are some theaters that, that there's also some theaters that don't want the cast there. I know when I worked yeah, at uh, Stagecrafters. Right. Uh, that they, was kind of their policy. Know, yeah. They, they didn't want people there. They just figured that's a separate thing. We don't so, want the yeah. actors to get hurt. Yeah. So Which, that's pretty much your yeah. uh, the, the people, the personnel that are involved, you know, other things you have to work. To, outside with, people, know. too. I mean, I've well, been one oh, of yeah, the outside absolutely. people uh, to help yeah. out. Uh, yeah, I mean, people you know, with skills mm-hmm. other than anybody me, that you can rope in. Yeah. Like I said. Yeah. People but handy with than, drills or whatever, hammers, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And other than, uh, you know, your, your, your people, you've also got to deal with, you know, we said that the time limitations with scheduling and that kind of thing, you've got budget limitations because, you know, lumber costs money. And then there's also what is already available at the theater because there, you know, we were talking about flats before there's usually only so many flats and so many sizes and so many doors available, so many platforms available. Try to reuse as much as possible. that's already available and Mm -hmm. have to buy as little as possible, but I think yep. there's always some unforeseen circumstances. Oh, we got to buy this, or oh, absolutely, these uh, pieces really aren't going to do the job the way we'd hoped. Uh, all right, we got to buy something. Yeah, usually you've got to get at least some dimensional lumber. You've got to get some two by fours and that kind of thing just to hold up the walls. You, sometimes you need a an entire two by four by eight piece that I've, often is not already available at the theater. Those kind of purchases, I've never managed to be able to figure out how to do those or plan those ahead of time. It's kind of more like a day of kind of a thing. Yeah. In a I lot mean, of cases. I, I, I'll get people up there to kind of count and see what we have available and go, okay, we'll probably need this and this, or at least know how many flats and things like that, that you have and how much loose loo on there is, you know, there, there's, there's ways to check on what you've got and ways to try and determine what you need. But yeah, a lot of stuff has to be bought on the fly. Pretty much. Don't forget that whatever goes up must come down. Yep, there's also set strike. You know, there's a few things we could talk about with that. We're doing a whole episode on construction. I don't think we could do a whole set, uh, excuse me, a whole episode on strike. It's over in an hour, maybe two. Yeah, I've had ones that last a whole lot longer than that. Wow. I've had three, four hour strikes. I've had stuff that goes till one in the morning done after a show. Wow. Uh, Because like it, particularly like at Barley Sheaf, you have to take everything down, undo all, you know, throw out what has to be thrown out and then everything else has to be put away. So all of yeah. your flats have to be put back up in the attic and your platforms and all of that has to be hauled back up. Um, if you've painted the theater walls, you have to paint those back to black. You know? Oh, yeah, okay. I think I've worked in conditions that are generally not quite so stringent. So yeah. set strike tends to go quicker. It also has helped it that depends. if, say, the storage for the flats is you know, in the back of the building, you don't actually have to raise them up into an attic. That yeah. helps save a lot of time. That That is not pleasant to have to do all of that, but, you know. The other thing, too, that's really important with uh, Set Strike is coordinating with the next show, if there is a next show, to figure out yes what, what out of all leave. of this can you possibly reuse that we don't have to touch. Yeah, one of the big deals at Barley Sheaf is they have a, uh, a, a couple of sets of stage extensions that they sometimes put on. There's a small extension and a large extension. And those are a real pain to like haul up and put up and and then to take down and put them all away and all of that. So I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, all right, if the show before me wants to use the extension and the show after me wants to use the extension, I'll leave it there. Yeah. But if I have to take it down, I'm not using it. Yeah. I think at least recently, more often than not, we've had to clear the stage in set strikes I participated in. But Mm. whatever. Never fun. Yeah. If it's just a clean slate, you're taking everything down. Sometimes it's just easier to just go ahead and do that rather than figure out, all right, leave that flat. No, that flat. No, all three yeah. of these flats. I. <laughs> That's It's a little complicated. True. Depending on how far you have to move it and how heavy everything is. Yeah. Uh, so that pretty much covers uh, what we have to say about set construction, I guess. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. The only other thing just, I was going to say about Strike is it can be a little bit of an annoyance if you have to do it right after the show is over, literally. But yeah, that is I always prefer required. if it's the next day, but I, I, I'm finding more and more theaters are doing it after closing night. Yep. That seems to be the norm now. Oh, well, 
Yeah, yep. and, and then uh, half the people don't even show up for the party afterward. <laughs> yeah, I know, because they're too tired after a strike. <laughs> so that pretty much covers it uh, for this week. Uh, if you've got any comments or episode ideas or anything like that, you can send us an email at podcast at backstage.link. You can also reach or... us at our phone number, leave a voicemail or text message at 267-225-8869. Or you can find us on our website, backstage.link, Facebook at facebook.com slash thebackstagepod, or Twitter at thebackstagepod. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, uh, leave us a review. Tell your uh, friends. Tell a friend. Yeah, you know, that's that's how word spreads uh, with podcasts. Tell a friend, have them tune in, and be annoyed by us. How word spreads <laughs> like measles. Yes. All right. Uh, I guess that pretty much wraps it up for this week. I don't know what's coming next week, but uh, we'll be uh, we'll be entertaining your ears with another episode. We'll be almost as surprised as you. Yes, we will. Until then, I'm Glenn and I'm Jim, and you can find us backstage. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us yet again on another episode of the Backstage Show. And before we get in today's and before we get into day, <laughs> we're we're off to a running start again. How do you want to open this file? I don't. It isn't a file. Stop. Uh, we'll call the first one sort of a represent. Yeah. Wait, wait. You're back. Yes. Here I am. Hello. You were back uh, for a second. Dang it. <sighs> All right. Poor connection went away on my side. So, but you. Oh, wait. You're I freezing you up. Oh, wait. Yeah, you, you slowed down for a second there, too. Ugh. Thank you, Skype. Yes, I got a... Avast, you have a cat on your shoulder. <laughs> I got a Marley on my shoulder. Hi, buddy. Yeah, he likes to do this a lot. Really? Really? Oh, no, not again. Come on. I'm tired. Yeah, no kidding. Are you there? Come on. I can hear you. Come on, we gotta wrap this up. Stupid Skype. Or twitface at backstage podface twit. Uh, I wanted to go to bed. <laughs>